It's based on three scriptures, Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and is referring to Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The second scripture is John 14, verses 13 and 14. And this is so important as the basis of prayer. Jesus said, whatever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything from me in my name, I will do it. And then Acts 3.16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. This is referring to a man who was lame from birth. In the presence of you all. So this is the prayer. We'll pray this together. And what we'll do is if you don't have this in front of you, just pray in the Spirit or just agree with me in prayer. The prayer of agreement is so strong. Our Lord and our God, look in mercy upon the suffering that covers the earth and, and, the, and, the, and a force called, seven, four, 70, called seven, COVID-19 is dominating governments, derailing economies, and destroying peace. It is an ever-present challenge bringing pain and devastation upon your creation. Yet we declare the name of Jesus is above all names in heaven and earth and I would add under the earth. We believe as your holy scriptures have taught us every person, problem, pestilence and power must bow before the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ we declare COVID-19 must be halted and eradicated. Lord Jesus, you created the world and everything in it. You healed the sick, walked on water, fed thousands, raised the dead. You rule and reign. You said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In the name of Jesus, we boldly ask our families, churches, cities, and nations to be protected from the effects of COVID-19. We know the name of Jesus has great power when we speak it. For you, our Savior and our Lord, we know that even now you are at the right hand of the Father interceding for people as they battle COVID-19. Lord Jesus, we're confident in the power of your name. So we ask you to give scientists, research, and medical personnel the supernatural strength and wisdom needed in their battle against COVID-19. And we ask you for healing and restoration in the lives who've been affected by this disease. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. That's above every name, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And what they ask us to do is to twice a day at 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 in the evening to, uh, to, to pray that. And that's why we make that information available to you uh, so that you can have that prayer. And I have found on times, and more than once unfortunately, that I forgot at 7.14, either in the morning or in the evening. And then I realized, you know what, somewhere in the world, when it's 8.14 here, 9.14 here, 10.14 here, it's 7.14 somewhere in the world, so I just, we can just join in with them. Praise the Lord. All right, let's prepare to get into God's Word this morning and see where God, the Holy Spirit's going to take us. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you again for the time we've had to come and to pray and to worship you, uh, uh, to pray and to worship you with our singing and to worship you with our giving. And now, Father, we come to turn to your Word. I believe with all my heart 
that there is something you want to say to your people in this day and age. And, and you may be saying something different to different churches. That's entirely possible and very likely. But there's some things I know you put in my heart to say and to prepare us for. Father, we've been hearing by the Spirit. We've been hearing by, by, by uh, people that have come. We've been hearing through prophecy for years now that there's a reason why you established this church over 41 years ago. The reason, there's a reason why you brought us through <clears throat> many dangerous trials and, and, and issues. There's a reason why you preserved this church. There's a reason why you've continued to prosper the church to grow. There's a conti- reason for that. And I believe with all my heart you're saying it's for this hour now. It, you, we were put here for such a time as this. And the we that was put here is everyone that's part of the people that you've gathered here. And so, Father, we need to hear from you what you're saying to us in this day and hour. There are many voices out there as we look at the news and listen to the reports. There are many voices talking about what might happen, what will happen, what has happened. But we need to hear your voice because it's what you say and it's what you're doing that's important. And Father, we're living in a time as I believe that we're preparing for, for a move of God. We're preparing for you to do some great and mighty things in this earth today before Jesus comes back. And so our prayer today is that you would continue to pray, prepare us personally, prepare us as families, and to prepare us as a community of believers here at Faith Christian Center. So we need to hear from you today. We need to hear what you have to say, what your spirit wants to say to us, not what I want to say. I have no idea what to say, and I have no ability to say it. But I yield myself as best I know how, my heart, my spirit, my mind, my voice to you, that you would speak what it is you want. And I thank you, Father, for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I've been wrestling with something uh, this week. Not physically. I have... Uh, uh, we finished last week, and, and, and we've been talking about um, uh, who is this God we serve. And, and last week, we got a, one of the aspects of God is we've talked about the fact He's a covenant-keeping God. We've talked about the fact that He's the self-existent God. We've looked at the God as He was revealing Himself to Israel when he, after He brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage. God had to introduce Himself to them. And we're looking at different aspects of how He introduced Himself so we can learn what God is like because the only way we can know what God is like is what He wants to tell us and show us about Himself. And so that's what we've been looking at. And last week we looked at an aspect of God that's so important in this time we're in. We saw that when God introduced himself to Abraham, he called himself, I am the Lord Almighty God, your God. I am the Almighty God. In the Hebrew word, word there is El Shaddai, which has a kind of a, a very vague meaning, but the way it's applied by, in the Old Testament is that he's the, he is the God who is more than enough. And literally, it, it is a many-breasted one. And we, it's hard to think of God as a breasted one, but that refers to the supply of mother's milk that a, a mother gives to her child when the child's born and before the child is weaned and able to eat. So God is saying that whatever you need, I have for you, and I am more than enough, and I am the Almighty God. Then when Jesus appears to John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation, towards the, at the end of the Bible, he reveals himself also, I am the Almighty God. He is, God is Almighty, and that is so important in the time we're going through because the situations that we're facing physically with this disease, with this virus, the situations people are facing financially can be absolutely overwhelming and there's no sign or there can be no signs of hope out there. Does anybody have an answer? 
And then we realize we serve a God who is almighty. And if He's almighty, He is infinitely mightier than this little microbe, this little virus called COVID-19. And when we prayed today, we prayed for that, that the name of Jesus is above every name. And that's out of, uh, out of Philippians chapter 2. He's given, given a name that's above every name. That at the mention of His name, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, which is where Satan lives. So we were looking at that last week, and I was prepared to move over into another subject that's related to this, and we may get there. But there were some things about last week we didn't finish, and I kept, all right, well, we didn't get to that. So, but I just, as I was getting ready, finishing my touches, the touches for today's message that I had planned this morning, I just kept tugging at me. And I got up this morning, and I overslept a little bit because I was awake during the night. And I got up this morning, so I'm kind of scrambling, and I still don't have peace. And I just sat down in, in my den, and I just said, Lord, I just need to know what to do. And I realized the Holy Spirit was tugging me back to something from last week. So we're going to follow Him and just see where this goes. We may get into today's message. We may, we may not. We'll just trust the Holy Spirit. And I love it when, when He does this to me. So we're talking about how God is almighty. And we looked at examples of that. We went through and talked about that, that some of the things that this almighty God did in the Old Testament. I mean, He, he parted a sea so that two million people walked across it on dry land. And then when they crossed over, their enemy came in to destroy them, and the sea came back over and swallowed their enemy up. They saw that. We saw this God raise the dead through prophets. We saw this God uh, cause a, a, a city's wall, Jericho, to fall down flat. The wall was so wide, archaeologists tell us that they used to run chariot races, six chariots wide on the top of it. And the walls, when, when the army of Israel gave a shout, the walls just fell down. And I just, I kind of believe that there's some evidence archaeologically that the walls didn't fall out. They went straight down. And I kind of like to picture it this way. When they shouted, God just reached over from heaven and stomped them down. I don't think that's literally what happened, but it helps me to picture that. But the idea is this. The God of the Old Testament is an almighty God. And then we moved over and looked at Jesus, God, when He walked on this earth in a human body, Jesus. And we saw He raised a number of people from the dead. He healed everyone that came to Him. We saw that He walked on water, and then He helped one of His disciples to walk on water just with a word. He said, come. And a man walked on water in the middle of a storm. We saw Him speak to the fish, and they gathered, and, and so Peter caught fish where only a little while before there were no fish. We saw Jesus tell a fish to bring tax money to Peter, and, a, and Peter opened the mouth of a fish, and there was the money to pay the taxes. We saw this man to uh, speak to, to, to uh, uh, crippled arms, withered arms, and that's not just broken, that's, they never fully grew out. And when he spoke at the man's arm, when he stretched out, it grew out. We saw all those things. There's no limit on what God could do in a man when he walked on this earth filled with the Spirit. And then we walked out and we looked at Psalm 91 in the Almighty God. But the thing I overlooked was this. And the thing I think God wants us to get to, all right, we serve a God who is almighty. He can do anything. But pastor, I got a problem with that because although God may be almighty, I'm not seeing His almightiness in my life. I've been trusting Him and maybe you lost your job and you were trusting Him and you lost your job. 
Maybe you've got loved ones that have have had this this disease, and even I know some of my friends, and this have di- and they've had relatives that have died, and it's so hard. And you say, where was this Almighty God? And I've had difficult things happen in my life, and I didn't see answers. Where was this Almighty God? Well, we're going to look at that. That's the part I really touched on last week, but we really didn't get into. So we're going to look. Excuse me, I dropped my notes. This is why I usually use an iPad. All right. We're going to go to Mark chapter 9. And there's a wonderful story here that really brings this out. And it answers some questions that people have uh, about believing God for things. So the background to this story is that Jesus has chosen three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he's told them to come up to the top of this mountain with him. And then he has them sit over in a place. And then he goes over a little distance, about a stone's throw distance. And suddenly his body begins to glisten and shine. And, 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 and it's like one of the things you might see uh, in, a, in, a, in a movie where they now with these computer uh, generated effects and the body just begins to, light begins to shine out of this body and two other beings begin to appear. And it's Moses and it's Elijah. And Jesus now begins to talk to them. And what this is, is we saw, if you went back to Philippians 2, Jesus, it says Jesus laid, laid aside His glory when He came to this earth to be born as a human being. Well, what we see, and because in, my, in John 17, before Jesus is going to the cross, He asked the Father to return that glory to Him. Well, what this is, is a little insight that these three disciples have, because now this is Jesus, the glory is shining out of Jesus. This is Jesus, the glory of God shining out of Him. So I I can't imagine what this must have been like. And they're looking, now they see these two Old Testament heroes, Elijah and Moses, and they're talking with Jesus. Peter's so excited, he wants to build three tabernacles, three little churches to hold them in, and then a moment he tries to do that, and that's a whole mess, another message, those, those other two guys disappear, and Jesus' glory disappears, and he comes back to them. And that's the background. And now they come down the mountain. But when they come down the mountain, there's a commotion that's going on. And, and, and so we're going to pick up in verse uh, 17. Well, we'll pick up in verse 14. They may not have it up there. And when they came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the, and the scribes disputing with them. And immediately they saw him and all the people were greatly amazed, running to him and greeting him. And he said to the disciples, what are you discussing with them? Verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, the teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit. He can't speak. And whenever, whenever notice, you know, today's doctors would look at that and say, well, there's some physiological reason why he can't speak. And maybe there was, but Jesus recognized that there was a spirit behind that physical condition. And there were a number of times, not all the time, a number of times when Jesus brought healing to people, not by speaking to the arthritis where the woman was bent over, but by the spirit that was behind that. So that's what's going on here. And verse 18, And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes at the teeth and becomes rigid. So, you know, a doctor looking at this might say, well, he's got epilepsy. And that's in all likelihood 
what he did have. But Jesus is recognizing, you'll see, there's a spirit behind that epilepsy. Does that mean there's always one behind it? I don't know. I just know that there was here. So when he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rivet, rigid. Not rivet, rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So what's happened here is Jesus is up on the mountain and Jesus has three of his disciples with him, but there's another nine at the foot of the mountain. And while they're up on the mountain, this man whose son has epilepsy or whatever it is, has brought his son to the other nine disciples for healing, to cast that demon out or for healing, all right? And they did whatever they could do, but they could not cast the demon out. They couldn't bring healing to that little boy, that boy's body. Now notice they tried to, which means they thought they could. And, and there's a place, we're not going to look at it today, where Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons. It's over in Matthew 10, it's over in Luke chapter 10. And then he eventually gave it to 70 more. So they've done this before, and you'll see that in a minute, evidence that they have done this before. So here's nine of Jesus' disciples prayed for a young boy, and the prayer was not, a, apparently, was not answered. All right? I'm sure you've had that experience. I've had that experience. I've had people bring somebody to me and I prayed for them and it didn't happen. So notice what Jesus shows up on the scene and notice what Jesus says. Jesus' answer is not, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. But isn't that what we do? When we pray for something for ourselves or we pray for something for somebody else and we don't see an answer, we tend to conclude, or our theologians tend to conclude, I guess it wasn't God's will. Now remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about that we serve an almighty God. But what we do so often is we decide how almighty He is by the results we see when we pray. So what we end up doing is we look at the results, they don't measure up to the, how big we think they ought to be, so instead of questioning how we've come, we reduce the size of our Almighty God down to the size of the results we got or we didn't get. Last week, if you were watching, I asked this question because I felt God asking this question of me. God said, how big is your God? Not how big do you think he ought to be, but in your life, by the way you conduct yourself, by the confidence you have when you pray, how big is God really to you? Not how big is he, but to you, how big he is. And I read you a quote from E.W. Kenyon, when God challenged him one time and said, he said, if, if, if you really realized how big I am in you, you could never ignore me in situations. And that's exactly what we're talking about. So here's the situation. This is why I believe the Spirit of God said we weren't done with this message yet. Because we talked last week and, and, and got our, our minds expanded to how almighty this God is, how big this God is. But that doesn't do you and me a whole lot of good unless that almighty God is able to exercise His almightiness in the situations in my life and in this church and the lives of people around us that God wants to use you and me to minister to.
So that's what we're talking about. So, so again, our reaction is when we pray for something or we know somebody else has prayed for something and we don't see them get an answer, we tend to question whether it was God's will or subtly, we may not admit this, whether God was able to. But we're not going to say, I don't think God's able to. So instead we go, I think it, wasn't, it may not have been God's will. And this affects the confidence with which we pray. Because we come to God often with situations and, and, and we don't have confidence and our idea of prayer is that we're just going to hope. We're going we're to take this problem like COVID-19 and we're just going to get enough people just going to throw it up to God and, and maybe it'll stick. And if it stick, praise God, He answered the prayer. But in most cases, it's going to fall back down. Well, I guess it, I guess it wasn't, wasn't God's will. But let's look at what Jesus reacted Let's look at how Jesus responded to this. Because we're going to see is, remember, nine of his, his trained disciples, nine of them had prayed for this boy and nothing happened. And now they're bringing it, this father's bringing the boy to Jesus and he's f- angry. And notice what Jesus says. <coughs> what, excuse me. <coughs> what Jesus doesn't say. <coughs> All choked up over it. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I guess it wasn't my Father's will. No, look what he says, verse 19. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And I got to believe that Jesus didn't just say, O faithless generation, how long do I have to put up with you? I believe he was genuinely frustrated. Now you've got to understand this. Jesus did not understand unbelief. Jesus could not understand what it was like to not believe that his father would answer the prayer. He couldn't comprehend that. So he would get so frustrated sometimes with his disciples in the boat on a storm. He's been ministering all day. He says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. I've talked about this before. He goes to sleep in the back of the boat on a pillow and a terrible storm comes up and the disciples are panicking so much and he's asleep that they go wake him up and they say, don't you care about us? That you would let us, that you sleep through this storm and you may feel like that's what God's doing through the storm you may be going through right now. But he only sleeps when he knows the results. He had said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's try. He didn't say, in case a storm doesn't come up. He said, let's go to the other side. So he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the wind is peaceful. And then he rebukes the disciples. He's upset at them. Years ago, as I was meditating on this, the Lord spoke something to me. He says, you notice that I never, ever, ever rebuked my disciples for trying to believe too much. Jesus never said to them, look, it's too much for you to believe, for speak a word, and the storm will calm down. He never said to them, you know, you should have, you know, it's too much for you. This boy, this boy with epilepsy or this spirit, this mute spirit that's controlling him, I understand it was too much for you, but I'm the one that can do this. No, every time they didn't do something extraordinary. He was rebuking them. He was challenging them. Why? Because he knows his Father is an almighty God and he knows his Father wants to do almighty things for us and he was frustrated because they wouldn't take the opportunity to exercise their faith, to grow in their faith. And so he would say, 
how long do I have to put up with this faceless generation? And then he says, bring him to me. Like, they should have done this. But they didn't. Let's see what happens now. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, when the father, when the, when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. So when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit that was in him convulsed him and fell on the ground and he wallowed and formed at the mouth. I, I, it may be hard to imagine. I had a stepbrother that had epilepsy. I know what this looks like. It's a scary thing to see. And, and, and they're seeing this. Now, what's going on here? The spirit that's doing this is trying to intimidate Jesus. Because right now the boy's been quiet and they bring him to him. The moment that spirit comes near Jesus, he starts manifesting in this boy because he's trying to intimidate Jesus. And how is he trying to intimidate Jesus? By physically showing him something of how bad this condition is. So very often when you're praying about a situation, what will happen is Satan will use some physical evidence to show you that this thing is worse than you thought. Maybe you prayed about a situation, maybe it was healing, and and it starts getting worse instead of better. You have to understand what's going on behind that. Satan is trying to increase the physical evidence to your senses and your mind that this is not going to work so that he can get you to back off because we're so controlled by our senses. We talked about that last week. Sense knowledge is what controls most Christians. That's why we're carnal. Carnal doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. It means you're controlled by what your senses tell you and your natural mind's reasoning. Jesus wasn't controlled by that. This did not move him, the fact that he was, that that the Spirit was manifesting him in such a display. We'll see even more so in a minute. Verse 21, so he, Jesus, asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has this been going on? And the Father said, from a childhood. He often has thrown them both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now this is what I wanted to get to. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Notice what he is questioning about Jesus. He's questioning, are you, I don't know if you're able to do this, and I don't know if you're willing to, but if you're able to, have compassion on us. So there's two elements in what he's asking. First of all, I don't know if you can do this, and if you can... I don't know if you care enough, if you're compassionate enough to do it. So he's saying, if you can, have compassion on my son. So what he's saying to Jesus is, I don't know what you're able to do, but I'm going to ask you, hoping that maybe you're able to do this, and maybe you'll have compassion. In other words, he did not see Jesus and the God Jesus served as all mighty. Because if the God he served were almighty, then epilepsy or this demon would not be difficult for him. So we're going to notice how Jesus turns this back on the Father. And this story is so important, which is why I believe the Holy Spirit wanted us to go over this this morning and take our time with this, because this is where most of us live. 
because we really don't believe that the Almighty, that God is Almighty. Oh, we uh, again. If I ask you, does God Almighty? Yes, but the proof of what we believe in our heart is how we respond. Is what we do, not what we say. And so he comes to Jesus and said, "All right, I brought him to you. If you can have compassion on us." And that's the way most Christians pray. God, I hope it's your will to do this. I hope you can do something with it. Oh, we may not say that to God, but that's what's in our heart. And, 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 and please have mercy on me. And when, it's interesting when the disciples come to Jesus and they ask them to teach, him, teach them how to pray. Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, Father, please have mercy upon us. Please have compassion on us and forgive our sins. Father, please have compassion and mercy on us and give us the food, the daily bread that we need. Father, please give us, show us and help us to do your will. No, in fact, I think part of what Jesus is saying there, I'm not sure Jesus is telling his disciples these are the words to pray because what he's addressing is that the, the Gentiles in Matthew chapter 6, he says the Gentiles put their trust when they pray in how they pray. But you don't need to do that because they have no covenant with God. He says, but God that you're coming to, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In other words, you need to come with a confidence that God wants to answer this prayer. And so the prayer that Jesus teaches them, we call the Lord's Prayer, is a prayer of confidence. Our Father relationship, who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's no pleading there on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today. There's a confidence. There's a boldness. Give us today our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. He's making bold statements. He's, he's demanding things of God. Jesus was teaching His disciples to be confident and bold in the request that they came to God. Because He says in there, Ask and it shall be given unto you. God wants you to ask Him because He wants to answer your prayers. We're talking about that on our Wednesday night prayer meetings. So the same thing's here. He's saying that this guy, this man is coming with his son the way we often come and say, if you can. So notice Jesus' answer here. Down in verse 23. Now I'm going to read it from the New American Standard, but I want to tell you what it says actually in the Greek. Because the New, uh, the New American, excuse me, I'm going to read it from the New King James. The New American Standard says this more accurately. I'll read the New King James. So the, the question is, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now this is, this is God answering that through Jesus. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. In the New American Standard, in the Greek, what, what the, remember what the man said? He said, if, if you can do anything. Jesus' response is, If I can... So Jesus said, what, you're questioning whether I can do this? No. The issue is, can you believe? If, I, if you can, believe all things are possible to him who believes. So Jesus is reversing the problem here. Because what the man is saying, which most of us have in the back of our mind is, well, the problem here is this is not God's will. Because that's why we're not seeing an answer. The problem here is, well, maybe God can't do this. But, but God, Jesus is saying, wait a minute, the issue is not what I can do because I am, God in me is almighty. This is no problem for me. But the problem I have is, 
can you believe? So this is important because we're learning about an almighty God and, and, and whether we really believe He's almighty because we tend to measure His almightiness by our experience. And I've told you over and over again, you cannot find out what God's like by your experience. It's wonderful when we're experiencing it, but when you're not, you can't interpret because you're not experiencing something. Or let's put it this way, you're believing God for something and, and people give you a list of people that believe God for that and it didn't work, quote unquote. It, it, it didn't work. I don't know what the it is, but what they're saying is God didn't do it. God didn't do it. Either He couldn't or it wasn't His will. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So we cannot find what God is like by interpreting man's experience. This is what the world looks at the mess we're in in the world and they think, I guess God doesn't care because He's allowed this to go on. But they don't never read the Bible. They don't understand God right now is not the God. God's not in control of this earth right now. Satan is in control of this earth because the first man God put here put it into His hands and He is called by the Bible the God of this earth. He's not the ultimate God and there's coming a day when His reign is over. That's part of our responsibility. We'll learn that next week when we get into the message that was scheduled, not, was scheduled for today. That God has put us here to put him, make His enemies under His footstool. We have an assignment here to complete the victory that Christ won 2,000 years ago by His death, burial, and resurrection. That's part of why the church is here. So we have to have a confidence and a boldness when we go about what God's put us here. And therefore we have to know that God is almighty. He will come through and that God wants to come through. He's already made His mind up to come through. So this Jesus' reaction is basically, if I can, you're questioning whether I can do this? No, no, no. The problem is, can you believe all things are possible to Him who believes. In other words, God is almighty. He can do all things if you can believe it. So we'll pick up here. Immediately the father of the child, verse 24, cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that's where most Christians are. He believed enough to bring him to the disciples. And when that didn't work, he believed enough to bring him to Jesus. But he recognizes now when Jesus tells him, no, no, this is possible, but you're the issue. You need to believe. He recognizes, I don't have enough. Uh, Forgive my unbelief. So most Christians are in a place where they believe to a measure, but their faith is not developed yet enough. And we'll talk about what that means. And so, so... Jesus says, and when Jesus, so this is where most Christians are. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb. Now notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't get on his knees and say, Father, I'm asking you to set this boy free. Father, you can see the problem, the suffering that this father is going through and that this boy is going through. He looks like a nice young man, Father, and I believe that if you'll heal him, he will grow up to serve you and God, you'll be able to use this. See, this is human reasoning we give to God why he ought to do something he already wants to do. That's human reasoning. 
Now, if you, there, is a, there are scriptures that say we, we should come and argue our case with God, but it's not human reasoning. It's taking God's promise and arguing it back to God. Father, you said this, so you've got to do this. This is what pleases Him when we do this. So Jesus is not doing that. Jesus isn't even talking to the Father. He's talking to the Spirit. And He tells an unclean spirit, come out of Him. Deaf and dumb spirit. I command you, come out of Him and enter Him no more. Now notice what happens. Again, we're, we're taking this scene and we're bringing it over to our own experiences in coming to this Almighty God in the middle of this crisis pandemic we're going through, in the middle of whatever the issues of your life. This is a great insight to where we, so many of us are and where Jesus wants us to get to, the points He wants to get to. So now Jesus has spoken. He's prayed, not to the Father, but He's spoken to this Spirit. He's exercised the authority that He's been given. Now notice what, ha- notice what doesn't happen. The Spirit doesn't sh- get quiet and just leave. And so it looks as if it got worse. Look what happens. Verse 26, And the Spirit cried out and convulsed Him greatly and came out of Him. So the Spirit, one last effort to convince Jesus that I'm, I'm, he's putting a show on, but he's trying to appeal to Jesus' mind and his senses to tell him, I'm stronger than you are. And Jesus doesn't move. And so the Spirit has to come out because Jesus' authority is greater than Satan's authority. And I tell you today, Jesus' authority in you, from his word in you, is still infinitely greater than the authority of Satan. But now let's notice what happens. And he becomes as one dead, so that many said he's dead. So imagine this. This is the scene going on. So imagine this going on in church, okay? So this is, you know, I, I'm standing here. It's not Jesus, it's me. And, and somebody's come forward in the healing line, and they said, my son is, is struggling with this, you know. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray for him. The moment I do, he starts going into one of these seizures and foaming at the mouth and getting rigid and trying to put on a big show to show off that he's stronger and to intimidate me. Now, as long as I'm walking in faith the way Jesus was, I'm not going to be moved by those physical manifestations. I mean, there are times I prayed for a healing and instead of, instead of, it, the, instead of it looking better, it, it looked worse. And I just, you've got to learn to not pay attention to what your senses tell you because they don't tell you whether God's almighty or not. They don't tell you whether God wants to answer your prayer or not. So he falls down, okay, and now I stand strong in the Word and that spirit has to come out and now he looks dead. He's not getting up. He looks dead. Look, look what he goes on to say. It goes on to say, um, The rest of that verse. So the Spirit cried out, convulsed him, and he came out of him, and he, and, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. He looks dead. So Jesus, the Father brought his son to Jesus, he prayed for him, and now the boy looks dead. But that doesn't move Jesus. Jesus isn't moved by his natural physical sense. Remember we're talking about how to receive from an almighty God. And Jesus doesn't governed by what his senses tell him. He has complete confidence that his father will back up what he did. And now he raises the boy up and the boy is returned to his father. Now the scene that follows after this, in order to truly understand this, you have to take Mark's version of the story 
together with Matthew's version of the story. And so, and I'm not going to read it, but I want to, I want to share you what, what happens now. Now the crowd leaves, and the disciples come aside with Jesus. And, and they had learned by now not to ask questions in front of other people because they were most likely going to be embarrassed by the answer they got. So these nine disciples that prayed for this boy and they didn't see their prayer answered, now they come to Jesus and they say, how come we couldn't cast out this demon? That tells me, first of all, they've done this before. Because if they'd never done it before, they, I guess we don't do this. That's not something man's supposed to do. But they've obviously done it before, and we know they have, because if you look through Luke chapter 10, or Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, you'll find out Jesus gave them that authority, and they exercised it. And in Luke chapter 10, they came back excited. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. But now the question, how come we couldn't cast this one out? Now in Mark's account... He says, because this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so people have taken the doctrine that there are some demons that only come out if you've prayed enough and you've fasted enough. And there may be elements of that that are true. But if you go to Matthew's account, Jesus gives a different answer. And I think they're tied together. Jesus' answer is because of your unbelief. He didn't say because it wasn't God's will unless I do this. He says the reason you couldn't cast them out was because of your unbelief. He said if you should say to a, a, mustard, a, a, a tree to be taken up, he said all you need is, is faith the size of a mustard seed. It's the tiniest seed that they had in that part of the country of the world. But it has to be planted. It has to be exercised in order for it to grow. And then Jesus uses the example, if you should say to a sycamore tree, be taken up and cast in the sea, and should not doubt, but believe in your heart what you said will come to pass, you would have what you said. He's saying the issue here is you, you, you were moved too much by your senses. That's where unbelief comes from. Unbelief is not a lack of belief. It's not believing. It's believing more what my senses tell me than the the character and the nature in the Word of Almighty God. Now, how do you develop your, your in, inner sensitivity? How do you develop your spirit man to the point that he's so strong that you're phys- you're not, it's not, he's not moved by the evidence that your physical senses tell you this is not working? Prayer and fasting is one of the techniques for doing that. Because what fasting does is fasting denies your physical senses and exercises the authority of your spirit man over your body and over your natural senses. It, it, it reestablishes the position God put your spirit in to be in dominion. And then the prayer is also a spiritual exercise where you're getting in touch. So I believe if you combine the two together, Jesus is saying it, you couldn't cast it out because of your unbelief. And so if you want to cure that, this kind of unbelief is only going to go by becoming more spiritually sensitive than your physical senses and not being moved by your physical senses. So why is that important for us? Because we're learning we serve an almighty God. A God that in the situation we're in right now may well put you in places, whether it's in your own life or in your family's life, where people are dealing with impossible situations and God wants you to exercise the authorities given to you through Christ, through the Spirit of God living in you to demonstrate His glory and that He is an almighty God. Because just as Elijah on Mount Carmel when he had the showdown with the prophets of Baal, 
If those of you who've read the story are familiar with it, Israel had become an ungodly nation. Their king and their queen were very ungodly. And she had a whole bunch of prophets on her payroll. And, and the people were following after, after Satan, basically uh, Baal worship. And Elijah had had it. So he has a showdown and they build this big, uh, big pile of wood uh, for a fire, like a big bonfire. And he says, we're going to have a showdown. You call on your God to send fire down and set this in fire. And then I'll call on my God to do the same thing. And so the, the priests of Baal did this big showdown and they came around and they did their incantations. They even got so much they cut their bodies and, 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 and nothing happened. And I, I love the sense of humor that Elijah had. He said, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom. If you look at the, the Hebrew, uh, uh, literally, that's what he's saying. Maybe, you're, maybe your God is, is just off doing something else. And then when it was Elijah's turn to show what the true and living God did, he said, let's make this a real challenge. So he took water and he soaked the wood in water and he dug a trench around it. And then when he was finished, instead of doing any great incantation, he just called on God to send fire down out of heaven, and fire came down out of heaven. It, 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 lacked up, lipped up, it licked up the water, and it set that fire, that pile of wood on, wet pile of wood on fire. God was demonstrating at a time of great backsliding of a nation that he was the true and living God. And I believe we're at a similar place in this nation. We've got churches and we've got people that, that love God, but we're a backslidden nation who doesn't serve God, who wants to deny that there's a God. And I believe before the end comes, before Jesus comes back, God is going to do a great outpouring of His Spirit and demonstrate that He is the, he is the real God, the true God. He is alive and well. He cares about us and that He is almighty. And He wants to demonstrate that. But He's not going to send fire down to heaven. He's going to do it through you and me filled with the Spirit of God. So it's important that His people, the church, knows that He is indeed an Almighty God. But not just know that intellectually, not just know that theologically, know that by experiences in our own life, in order to do that, we have to overcome the unbelief. So this is why it's so important that you're spending time in God's Word, that you're meditating in God's Word, and that you begin to apply God's Word in your life. The next time we talk, we're going to talk about how to do this, how to bring this Almighty God to operating in your life. But we had to see today that the real problem is that the re- real problem is is that, that we think God's the issue. Either it's not His will, or maybe it's something that's beyond His ability to do. When God's telling us, no, we're the issue. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that, well, maybe we didn't believe enough. And I've seen preachers ridicule us and say, well, it's, it's, it's not fair to say, well, somebody didn't believe. But that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the littleness of your faith to the woman, to the woman who was healed of, 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 of an issue of blood, he said, it's your faith. A number of times, your faith made you whole. He told the disciples, the littleness of your faith. That's what Jesus said. And here's the issue. So many people don't really understand what true faith is and they confuse hope with faith. And we'll talk about that another time because our time is, is, is drawing to an end. So important that we understand. Now, oh, oh, here's my other thought. That's good news. If the issue was on, were on God's side, there's nothing we could do about it. If it were, first of all, well, it may not be God's will to heal, then there's nothing I can do. I mean, it's God's will that, uh, we, that we suffer with COVID-19 and that just plague goes on and destroys uh, the numbers that they're projecting. If, if that's God's will, what can we do about it? See, when, it, when we put it over on God, it takes the responsibility off of us. Well, I can just, 
I can just go about my life and do what I'm doing because I guess it's not God's will. But that doesn't give God the glory, does it? God wants the glory. He's entitled to the glory by demonstrating what He can do. So when we do that, it becomes, takes the responsibility off of us and puts it on God. But here's the good news. If it's us, if there's some issue with us, we can do something about that. If it's God, there's nothing we can do. If it's not God's will, or if He doesn't care, I can't change that. Fortunately, it is God's will. Fortunately, God does care. Fortunately, God is Almighty. But if the issue's on my side, I can do something about that. I can begin to, I can begin to get God's Word inside of me. And here's the issue. Most people aren't diligent enough to get God's Word in them so that it becomes part of them. They memorize it, they read it, they can speak it, but it's not becomes part of them. Jesus makes this amazing promise in John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that means they become part of you. God's word, if you meditate on it long enough, if you begin to eat it and swallow it as if it were food and you begin to digest it, it becomes part of you and that's when it begins to operate and change things. Proverbs 4 says, My son, attend to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. And see, we do that. We, we may read it, but we don't live that out. The Lord spoke this verse to me at the end of last year. He said, Son, you know the verse well, but you're not living this verse out. So I began to go through these verses one word at a time. My son, attend to my words. I wasn't doing that. I'd read it. I'd spend my devotion, but I wasn't attending to it. I mean, really focusing on it. Incline your ear to my sayings. That means purposefully listen to it. Let it not depart from your eyes. That means keep it in front of you somehow. I don't mean drive down the road with it in front, but I mean play it in your car. Have it coming at you. Be focusing it all the time. Let it not depart from your heart. For it's life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And then the next verse says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. And this is the problem. Most of us don't get God's Word abiding in our heart. It's in our mind. It's in our memory. It's on our mouth even. But it's not settled down and abiding in our heart. Because as as Matthew 13 says, when that Word gets in your heart, it's like a seed and it begins to take root. And when it begins to take root, it can begin to produce faith in your heart. And Jesus said a number of places, if you believe in your heart, you're saved by believing in your heart. And we receive things from God by believing in our heart and not allowing doubt in our heart. The heart is the issue. It's what you're allowing in your heart. It's what you're putting in your heart. And this is why so many people are, they believe with their mind, it's called mental assent, but they're not believing with their heart or they've got doubt into their heart. And we'll talk more about that down the road. But I just felt God wanted to challenge us. He is almighty. And He wants to demonstrate His almightiness in this backslidden world today. God wants to show the world who He really is and that He he is real and that He really cares. But He needs to do that through you and me. So we have to believe and know that He is Almighty and we have to be trusting Him that His Almightiness will show in our lives and through us. 
Amen and amen. Well, before we close the service, I want to I want to begin to give an opportunity to you that maybe you're watching this for the first time or, or maybe you've, you've watched before, maybe even come here.